the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. God said, let there be light, and there was light. He made the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. With the breath, the fullness of life filled our lungs. We were with God and he was with us. Sin soon entered and caused a great deceit, separating us from God. Humanity believed the lie, the lie that God no longer cared for us, that we were forgotten. But from the beginning, even when the earth was void, God knew he would send his son. Jesus would come to earth and walk among humanity, fully God and fully man. The perfect picture of heaven touching earth. The Son of God would set his sight on redemption for mankind. He who knew no sin would take the weight of the sin of the world. He would bring life to dry places, restoring and revealing all of God's creation. He would make a way for mankind to return to God. The Son of Man would be mocked and beaten arms nailed wide, he would be crucified and laid to rest. His body was wrapped in strips of linen. It was finished. Jesus' death was the atonement for our sins. We would now have everlasting life because soon he would awaken. Soul City Church. How you doing today? I love it. That is mediocre at best for Easter Sunday. So let's try that again. In this room, overflow, and everyone watching online right now, how are you doing today? All right, even, even if that's not real, I'll take it. It is so good to be with you this Easter Sunday. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City Church. I, I love Easter. I love everything about it. I love all that we have to celebrate, and that's what we're here to do today, to celebrate, to reflect, and to respond to the reality of an empty tomb, that new life, real life, has been made available to all of us if we would have eyes to see. And so I'm so glad you decided to spend your Easter here with us today. You look absolutely amazing. My hunch is it took, for some of you, a little uh, bit uh, to get 
looking as good as you look. I'm, not, I'm just saying, for some of you, it may have taken some more time. So maybe you got up a little earlier than normal today to do it. It was worth it. That's all I'm trying to say. It was worth it. And in fact, what I want to say is uh, each of us gets up a little differently, don't we? Especially this morning. All of you got up at some point, as evidenced by the fact that you're here. Uh, but we all do it differently, don't we? And so I just wanted to do a little little Easter poll, if I could, and just see who's in the room. All you have to do when I ask these questions, just raise your hand if it's true of you. You don't have to give an explanation or defense of your position. Just raise your hand. That's all you have to do, okay? So we can all do this together. Okay, so when it comes to waking up in the morning, how many of you do not use an alarm clock? You just, your body knows. You just get up when you get up. Raise your hand high. You are amazing individuals. You are living life on the edge, and it frightens me. I would be late to everything if I adopted your philosophy. So that's amazing. How many of you, though, have to set an alarm? Raise your hand if you have to set one of these. Do, what is even, no one even uses a clock anymore. All right, so <laughs> let's just call that a prop. Yeah, okay, so alarm people, raise your hand one more time. Let me see. Okay, awesome. Yeah, that's most folks. Now, let's be really honest. Again, you came this far. You look this good. You're in church. Let's just be really honest with each other. How many of you love to hit the snooze button? Raise your hand if you love that snooze button. Okay. Almost everyone that raised their hand for setting an alarm. Awesome. Actually, statistically, that's totally in keeping. Uh, folks that have studied sleep and how we sleep and what happens to us, uh, you know, because of how we sleep, found that the majority of Americans hit the snooze button at least twice every day. And some of you are like chronic snooze button hitters, right? You believe that if you just had five more minutes of sleep, that's all you need for your day to be on point, right? 10 would be divine if you could just have. Now, here's the deal. What science has actually taught us, Bruno, you can have that five minutes or that 10 minutes by going to bed earlier the night before. You can have all the sleep you want, but forget science for a moment. We love the snooze button. Now, folks who studied sleep have found that those who hit the snooze button, that has a real effect actually on your day. What they found is folks who love to hit the snooze button wake up feeling a little bit more groggy than if they would have just gotten up the first time. They wake up feeling rushed, and maybe you did that this morning, end up feeling behind. And in fact, it can have an effect on your whole day just because you rolled over and hit snooze a couple times. Now, what does that have to do with Easter and what we're here to celebrate today? <laughs> Well, I believe that when it comes to what matters most, I believe that when it comes to real life, most people choose to hit snooze. That when it comes to real life, the life that God created you for, that God's invited you into, most people tend to hit snooze and they just sort of sleepwalk their way through life. And maybe you've felt that or experienced that yourself. Maybe you're kind of sleepwalking your way through work. Maybe there's days where it feels like you're asleep at work. Maybe there's days where you're just kind of going through life by going through the motions in your relationships. If you're to be really honest, maybe you're sleepwalking. We can numb ourselves out and distract ourselves online through social media. It's all just another way to keep hitting the snooze button rather than waking up to the life that God actually intended for us to live. And my hope for our time together here today is that you would walk out of here as someone who refuses to hit snooze any longer on what matters most in life, that you would have an awakening today and wake up to the reality of resurrection life that's possible for everyone. Now, this really is what the Easter message is all about. It's an invitation for us to wake up to the reality of God's love for you. The Easter message is simple. Humanity spent the majority of its existence sleepwalking. 
stumbling and fumbling in the dark of our sins, stuck in our sin, until God intervened by sending his own son, Jesus, the only person to ever do life perfectly. He nailed it, did it perfect, was without sin. And because of that, he was the only one qualified to pay the price for our sin, your sin and mine. And he gave his life for us on the cross. He suffered even on the way to the cross. Elijah and I, my son and I, were reading through this Friday morning, just amazed at the lengths to which Jesus went through to demonstrate his love. And it wasn't metaphorical. It was real. It happened. There were eyewitnesses. The Bible tells us there's plenty of eyewitnesses that say the lengths to which Jesus demonstrated his love. Ultimately, they nailed him to a cross, which was God's plan all along to pay that price, to be the sacrifice. The one who was without sin took on all of our sin. That means my sin. That means your sin, so that we could wake up to new life. And that's not the end of the story. The cross is not the end of the story. That's why we're actually here to celebrate today. Because the Bible tells us that on the third day, just as Jesus said God would, God raised Jesus from the dead and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Put an exclamation point on Easter and said that now the tomb is empty, the stone is rolled away, all are invited into new life through relationship with Jesus. This is the Easter message, and it's what we've built this church on. I've personally banked my life on this message. But it's easy to read the accounts of Easter or to hear a story, like even if I just walked through and take the posture of the third person. You kind of take a removed posture position, looking into the story going, oh yeah, I can see the events that happened, that occurred. But can you imagine what it must have been like to have experienced it firsthand? To actually have been one of those eyewitnesses who was there. What I want to do for the next couple moments is tell you an Easter story that you may have never heard before. I want to tell you the story so that you can see Easter through eyes like maybe you've never seen before and so that you might actually be able to believe that Jesus did it all for you. So I want you to grab a Bible and turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. There should be a gray Bible in front of you, so go ahead and grab that right now in overflow. You can grab one if you're watching online. I don't know if there's a gray Bible in front of you, but grab a Bible and turn to Luke 24. In the gray Bible, it's page 738. Let me uh, just say a word about the Bibles. If you've been around here for a while, you've heard me say this, but we're really serious about it. If you are curious about God, want to know more about who God is, maybe someone dragged you here this Easter, and you want to know more about God, but you don't own a Bible. For whatever reason, you just don't happen to own a Bible. Will you please steal a Bible from church today? <laughs> Nothing makes us happier than when people swipe Bibles from church. Listen, on Monday at work, you get two brags. You can just say, I went to church this weekend, and I stole a Bible. So please steal a Bible. We want everyone to have one. All right, so let me give you context to Luke chapter 24. This is Resurrection Sunday, the events that we're about to come into in this part of the story. Jesus had already appeared that morning to some of his followers. Does anyone know who the first folks were that Jesus appeared to? He actually appeared to the women first, because Jesus knows that if it's ever going to get done, it's going to take a woman. All right? It's in your Bible. Read your Bibles. I'm just saying. I'm married to one. She tells me that all the time. So he appears to the women first, but after that, he begins making appearances to other followers of hers. And we get now to hear a story that maybe you've never heard before about two such folks that had an interaction, an encounter with Jesus. And I think we find our story in their story perfectly this Easter. And so let's read in Luke 24, verse 13. It says this, now that same day, two of them, two followers of Jesus, 
were going to a village called Emmaus. And it was about how many miles? About seven miles. So just kind of make a note. They're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, about a seven-mile walk. And it says they were talking with each other about everything that had happened, all the events of the last couple days. They were still in shock, in great grief. And so they were processing this as they walked together on the road. Now think about it. These are two followers of Jesus who were now walking away. They were walking away. They were literally walking away from Jerusalem where Jesus was tried and crucified. But they were walking away from that city, literally, seven-mile walk, grieving, processing all that had happened. Easily, this seven-mile walk is like the worst 10K in human history because their hearts were so broken. Can you imagine every step, a reminder of what they were walking away from? They were walking away from the life they had imagined with Jesus. They were walking away from the kingdom they thought he would establish on earth. They were walking away from their friend, their leader. They found themselves on the road to Emmaus, the road in between, in between Jerusalem and Emmaus. In between for them, all of their now and all of their not yet. It was the road in between possibility and reality. In between the unimaginable and the uncontrollable. And I think this is where we so often find ourselves, isn't it? On that road in between. Where life is not as you thought it would be by this point. And so you find yourself wandering on the road in between. All of us find ourselves on the road in between. Maybe you have found yourself on the road in between in your career. When you started this job or when you started this company, you thought you'd be a lot further than you are now. You thought maybe it'd be a lot more rewarding than it actually is now. And you're wondering how it's all going to work out. You're on the road in between. You know what that's like. Relationally, maybe you're on the road in between. You thought you would be married by now. You thought you'd have a family by now. You thought your marriage would have made it this far, and it didn't. Maybe you are married, and you're sitting next to your spouse now, and you're looking at them going, this isn't all that I signed up for. And you're realizing it's a lot harder and a lot more complicated than you realized. You're on the road in between. Maybe even you're here in the city of Chicago, on the road in between. This city isn't home for you, but yet it doesn't feel like home yet to you. And so you feel like you're on the road in between. All of us, all of us find ourselves in one way or another on the road in between. And it's not only where we find ourselves, but it's where Jesus finds us and where we can find, where we can see that he's actually been walking with you all along. In fact, let's look at what happens here in this text. Verse 15 As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Isn't that interesting that Jesus appears and is now just kind of walking along with them on the road in between, and they don't recognize him. Same thing actually happened that morning when Jesus appeared to the women. At first glance, they thought he was the gardener. So maybe Jesus is still in his gardening clothes. I'm not exactly sure. But the belief is that because he was in his resurrected body, they didn't recognize him. But isn't that interesting that these folks that had walked away from their former lives to follow him are now walking away from him and don't recognize him. They can't see him 
in their midst. I think they don't see him because they weren't looking for him. They had seen all the circumstances of the story, all the details of the events. They weren't looking for a resurrected Jesus. And so oftentimes, isn't it true for us that when all we see are our circumstances, it's hard to see God in the midst of it. When all we see is our pain, all of our problems, all the dilemmas and drama we find ourselves in, it's hard to see that Jesus is actually with us in the midst of it. When all we see is all that's out of control in the world, it's hard to see a God who's actually in control. Well, that's exactly what happens here. They could not see or recognize Jesus in their midst, so he makes his presence Known. Look what happens in verse 17. He asked them, I love this, walking alongside of them, deep grief as they're walking back to Emmaus. He asked them, so, so what are you guys talking about? <laughs> I just love that Jesus just kind of butts into the conversation. So what are, you guys, what are you guys talking about? What's going on? What's happening? Oh, the Bible says it this way. What are you discussing together as you walk along? But you kind of get the inference here. He's like, so what are you talking about? What's happening? And it says they stood still, their faces downcast. They were grieving and deep sadness over this loss. Jesus just, I love it, he just butts right into the conversation and makes his presence known. Have you ever had someone do that with you before where maybe you're at work and you're talking to a coworker and then just another coworker plops down and just like, what are you guys talking about? You know, you're like, uh, we were talking about you. So this is just got, <laughs> this just got real awkward all of a sudden. Or you're at a coffee shop, right, and you're working. There's plenty of other seats, but someone has to sit right next to you in the coffee shop. You're like, seriously, look around, right? You never have. We tend to get annoyed when that happens, when someone just kind of butts their way into our conversations. We're good Midwesterners here, some of the finest people I know in the world, but we respect boundaries around here. We're not going to butt in on someone like that, but that's what Jesus does. And just like you would be, they were a little annoyed. I want you to look at the response in verse 18, I want you to listen to the sass in his answer. One of them named Cleopas asked him, seriously, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? Seriously? In other words, dude, are you clueless? How do you not know? Have you not seen the news? Have you not checked your Twitter feed? Haven't you seen that the hashtag RIP Jesus is trending right now? How can you not know? How can you miss this most important thing? I mean, imagine if someone was walking around Chicago the day after the Cubs won the World Series this fall, and they're walking around going, why is no one at work? <laughs> why is that guy hanging from a street sign? Like, what? Like, you go, seriously, do you not know what the Cubbies just did? Like, that, you would, you wouldn't, it would be unfathomable that you could miss it. That's exactly how they felt in this moment. How can you not know how significant this is. And so I love it. Jesus just kind of keeps it going, keeps egging them on. Verse 19, he says, what things? I love it. Like, what are you talking about? I don't know. What things? What are you talking about? And so they go on to tell him, this is really interesting, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And this is what's so fascinating. They begin to tell Jesus about Jesus. And they begin to tell the story of what had happened those last couple days, how the religious leaders had betrayed and sold Jesus out and how they'd given him over to the occupying power to Rome to be crucified, how the women had said that they had seen him earlier that morning, but when they went to the tomb, the tomb was empty, and they began to tell Jesus about Jesus. And what I love about Jesus is that he doesn't quickly gonna correct them or shut them down. He gives them space. He holds space for them to tell their story to grieve, to mourn, to be present to what is. And Jesus 
keeps walking with them on this road in between until finally it gets to a point in verse 25 where he interrupts them again. He said to them, how foolish you are. Now, that word foolish seems very negative and derogatory in our language. The original intention of that word is, oh, how you've missed it. Oh, you missed it. You, you just gave me all the details, but you missed the point. How foolish you are. And how slow to what? How slow to believe. You might want to circle that word in your Bible. Believe all the things the prophets have spoken. Did, did not the Messiah, now this is what I love. Jesus starts to tell them about himself. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Remember when I told you about all this? Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself, all about himself. As they approached the village, as they finally made their way towards Emmaus, they're getting closer and closer on this journey to which they were heading. Jesus actually continued on as if he were going farther. Now, that's an interesting little detail. Why is that? I love that Jesus is like, you know what, uh, it's not my stop. Uh, mine's the next stop. He just kind of is about to keep walking. Why is that detail important? Because I think there's something for you to pay attention to. First and foremost is that Jesus is with you more than you even know. He's already actually with you. What he's waiting for is your invitation. Because he will never, ever force himself upon you. He loves you too much to make you love him. He could do that. You know that. He could just make you love him. But that's not real love. It's not real love if there's not a real choice. And so Jesus is just going to keep walking. And he gives them the choice, the opportunity for their own invitation of him. And look what happens in verse 29. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it's nearly evening, the day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. I love that this curious and clueless stranger is now a trusted friend that they invite in to their home. Now keep in mind, they still don't recognize that it's Jesus. So he comes into their home, verse 30. When he sat at the table with them, he took what? He took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he disappeared from their sight. Classic Jesus. <laughs> just like, just as soon as they woke up, he peaced out. He was gone. Now, a lot happened in there. Why is that so significant? Well, Jesus came in and they invited him in. And the second he went to the bread is when their eyes began to open. Any of you who've received communion before, you know what's at the center of it, the bread. Where just days before this event, just like before the weekend, Jesus gathered his followers together and broke bread and said, this is my body broken for you. This is God's plan all along that I would offer my life for yours. And there they were at the table as Jesus is breaking bread back at the point of remembrance where he had just said days before, remember me, remember me, do not forget. And just a few days later, they'd already forgotten. And so at the breaking of the bread, their eyes were opened and they saw that it was him that he had done it. All that God had said he would do, he had done it, and he had done it all 
for them. Death had been defeated. Sin had been silenced. The separation between us and God had been solved by Jesus, our Savior. Their eyes were open, and finally they were able to see who it was that had been with them all along. And look at what they said in verse 32. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Were not our hearts burning within us? When was the last time your heart burned within you? When was the last time you felt your heart beating and burning because of the reality, the awareness of God's presence, God's power, God's peace in your life when you were able to see what your eyes couldn't see because you believed? Were not our hearts burning within us? That's why I love Soul City Church, I love this church. When folks come to this church and they come and experience what God's doing here, there's that same response. My heart was burning within me. Folks will say, I don't even know what it was. It felt like for the first time I got it. It made sense. People will cry without even knowing why they're crying and don't even, I just, I don't know what it was. I just feel like God loves me. I feel so close to God. Now that, listen, that's not because of the lights. That's not because of any like emotionally moving video that we play for you. That is the presence of Jesus, of a resurrected Jesus. And when you are in his presence, your heart begins to burn within you and you begin to wake up to the reality of God's love for you. Maybe in fact, that's what it is that you're feeling here today. Something's connecting, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time. Your, your heart's beating, it's burning within you because the reality of the fact that God loves you and he did it all and he did it for you. He did it all for you. See, I think this story gives us a perfect uh, opportunity to respond, to reflect on the reality of a resurrected Jesus. Because I think for some, for some folks, when it comes to recognizing or seeing Jesus, the thing that they want the most is they want answers. They want proof. They want answers to all their questions. They like to have their I's dotted and their T's crossed. And that was the case with Thomas. Jesus left them to go appear to some of his other followers. Jesus literally came through a wall where his followers were hiding out for fear of their own lives. He literally floated through a wall, and Thomas looked at Jesus and said, I'm going to need some proof, right? That's not because he doubted. It's because he needed those answers to see, and he asked Jesus to see the holes in his hands. Sometimes, sometimes what we want is proof because you know that seeing is believing, and that's true for some of us sometimes. But what I love about this story is that's actually not the case for this story. Because sometimes the opposite is just as true. Sometimes believing is seeing. When you believe that God did it all and that he did it for you, your eyes are opened. And you're able to see that he's been with you all along. This is the stuff of faith. This is the stuff of faith where you're willing to say, I may not have all of my answers, I may not have all of the evidence or all the proof, but I still know enough to know that I can believe, that I can say yes to you. And as you do, when you do, your heart begins to burn within you and your eyes are open and you're able to see, maybe for the very first time. 
And that's what I love about this story, is that's our invitation, is to decide what it is that we actually believe. What is it that you believe? What is it that you believe about God? What is it you believe about his son and what he's done for you? And is it possible that if all that's left for you to see is to just believe? So I want you to hear this story of a guy that's been a part of our church, and you know he recently started coming here and kind of grew up around faith, but he had a reawakening of faith where his belief led to him seeing Jesus and seeing his story in greater context. So I want you to check out my friend Justin's story now. When I was a kid, um, my dad left when I was two. Uh, my, my brother was only six months old. Being raised by a single mother, independence was not uh, an option for any of us. Uh, it was something that we just had to uh, figure out. Like, I think if I had a motif for my life, it would just be figure it out, Justin, just figure it out. Out of the blue, it just was completely random. I'd been going to the same two churches my entire life. And one Sunday, like on Sunday morning, my mom says, uh, I got invited to another service. I said, she's like, I don't know, it's just another church. I've been going to Bible study at work and uh, I'm taking us there. Within that year, I had made some friends and then I got invited to, uh, to go to a retreat. It, it, was, it was an amazing experience, but it was different. And uh, I remember the last service was like really moving. And I'm back with uh, my youth leader and um, we're talking and I shared a little bit with him about like my struggle with what was happening at home. I shared with him about my dad and uh, there was just, like all this anger and frustration that I had. And I remember I got to like one of those moments where he just like, he just let me go. He just let me like, say what was on my mind. He said uh, to me, just, I, I can't assume to know anything about how you feel, but I hope this weekend and I hope that for the rest of your life, you know that there is someone that has never abandoned you, that will never, ever forsake you, and ever want you to feel like you're alone. I remember going into college thinking this is gonna be the greatest part of my walk with Christ, and then college was a mess. I, I, I fell away really hard, um, and intentionally so. I knew I couldn't be perfect in that, and I was scared of it. But thankfully, I had like really great friends, uh, at school with me. One of those friends being Allie. I had known her for, for like five or six years up until that point. And uh, so she, I had friends like her that had always kept tugging and pulling, never forcefully pushing me sometimes uh, when was necessary, but I was still running really hard. So fast forward a couple years after college, my girlfriend Angelica and I realized that we were missing something. I was graced to actually reconnect with Allie again and uh, she had introduced me to her husband, Randy, um, who is an amazing, amazing person. After we started hanging out with Allie and Randy again, they had invited us many times to Soul City. So uh, one weekend when she was out of town, I decided to, to visit and, and check it out. I finally actually came to Soul City, finally actually made time. And it was nothing short of, of powerful. I remember walking in um, and it was, the, the worship was beautiful and it got me asking why again. And, and, and asking what if this was that I was feeling and reminded me of, of kind of where I came from and, and who God was in a really deep way. One of the first services that my girlfriend Angelica and I were able to attend was like the baptismal service. And um, we get there and so they have like the two tanks up here and 
as all my other experiences, everything's like super powerful and like everyone's excited. The energy's like way up <laughs> in the church. Energy's way up and I don't fully understand why and it's jam packed and I'm like quiet and I'm watching people get up there and I just start tearing up. Jared was speaking that day and one thing that stuck with me uh, that I couldn't get out of my head, you know, sometimes like baptism uh, can be a, a recommitment to Christ and I'm like, I think I'm gonna get baptized. That Sunday will forever be one of the most important decisions of my life because that was the day that I felt like my faith was reawakened. So this is like a new season for me and my faith and uh, it's still an ugly one. I, I'm like far from perfect, but I'm okay with that. I think God is saying it's okay. It's always been okay. I think all I have to do is believe. Two of the most powerful words you can say, I believe, I believe, I believe that when I say I believe, you open my eyes to the reality of your loving presence in my life more than I could ever imagine. I believe that you actually did it all. You made a way where there was no way. I believe that you did it for me because I believe that you love me. I believe that you want to be in a relationship with me. I believe that I'm your son, I'm your daughter. I believe that I can have a new life. I believe I can begin 
again. A powerful, powerful declaration. I believe. Sometimes seeing leads to believing, but lots of times it's believing that leads to seeing. And we want you to have the opportunity to see and experience the reality of the love of God made known for you through a cross and an empty tomb. And so we want to give a chance to say, I believe. If that's you, if you're, that's where you're at, you're ready. And we want to give you the opportunity to do that. So what I'm going to do is ask everyone in this room and in our overflow space to stand up right now. I'm not, we're not going to do anything weird. Just stand up right now. I ask you to take a posture of prayer that we take here around Soul City. If you're new around here, we like to pray with our hands open and up to God. Maybe you heard or were taught that you're supposed to pray with your hands closed. Uh, that's not in the Bible. They just did that so you don't poke the people next to you and distract them. We pray with our hands open because we believe it's our body telling our soul what to do, to be open to this moment, to be open to every moment that's led to this moment, to be open to the reality of God's love in your life, to be open to saying yes to him, I believe, maybe for the very first time ever in your life. Or maybe like Justin, it's time to come back home. You've lost your way. You've been stuck on the road in between for too long. And so today's the day you say, I believe again. I want to be renewed. I want to reawaken to a relationship with you. So I'm going to pray. And if you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, as so many folks have over the course of this weekend, or reawaken to a relationship with Jesus, again, as so many folks have this weekend, I'm gonna ask you just to pray these words after me, okay? So all you have to do is say these words out loud after me with hands, hearts, lives open. Let's join right now together in prayer. So if you wanna begin or if you wanna reawaken to a relationship with Jesus, pray this after me. Jesus, I believe. I believe you died for me. I believe God raised you from the dead for the forgiveness of my sins. I confess that my life is a mess. I can't do it on my own. I need you more than I know. So come in. Come back in. Make your home in my heart. And give me the new life that you promised me. True life that you promised me. I believe your forgiveness leads to my freedom. I believe that I can begin again. I believe that I have new life in you, true life in you, in this life and for eternity. Jesus, Son of God, I believe in your name. Amen. And Jesus, we celebrate every person who said yes to you, who believes you today, who's coming back home to you today, and we worship you and declare our belief in you. We love you because you first loved us, and it's because of that we can say we believe.